Amen. Let's pray. Father, this morning we are grateful for so many things, so many evidences of your goodness and your grace. But right now, God, we are thankful for your word. Lord, as we just heard, it is the one thing that stands sure. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word is a steady foundation. It will stand forever. So, Lord, we we pray that you would help us to hear your word with fresh ears this morning. Father, help us to trust it. Help us to trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, we are in the midst of the Christmas season in case you didn't know. Uh, in, in the Christmas season, it is a, it is a wonderful time of year. Uh, some might even say it is the most wonderful time of the year. But it's also a peculiar time of the year. And while there are many things that I could list that are, are unique about the season, one thing that sticks out to me, this is a time in which we are expected, but not, not only expected, but encouraged to make our wants and our needs known. We even make lists of our wants and our needs and we distribute them to friends and family. Pretty much every other time of the year, we're somewhat self-conscious about our needs and our desires, but not now. And around this time, a lot of energy is expended to try to meet both the stated and perceived needs of our loved ones. We work hard this time of year, buying and wrapping gifts, planning and prepping meals and gatherings for family and friends. We work extra hard in our jobs so as to afford all of the gift buying and the meal prepping. And in this time of year, many of us feel added pressure to meet both the stated and perceived needs of the people we love. But I think it's worth, even necessary for us in the midst of all the joy, the craziness, the stress of the season to stop and consider what do we actually need? And a reality that we're confronted with in this season and in this text is that our deepest need and that of the people that we care most about is not something that any of us are able to provide for. Merry Christmas. Now, that may sound like a bummer, but I can assure you that it is not. Why? Because the promise of Christmas and the promise of this text is that our greatest need has been met. And what is it that we truly need? We need a king. We need the king. One who can come with strength and establish his rule and also speak tenderly words of comfort to his weary people. No ordinary king will do. That king has to be God himself. And friends, that is exactly who has arrived in the person of Jesus. We want a king. We need a king. 
And the hope that Advent holds out to us is that our King has come and he will come again. So we're going to walk through Isaiah 40 verses 1 through 11 together this morning. And we're going to look at it in three parts. In it, we will see our desire for a ruler. We'll also see the inadequacy of human rulers. And then we will encounter the king of power and of comfort. So let's start now by looking at the desire for a ruler. And I think we see this clearly in verses 3 through 6 of our text. A voice of one crying out, prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make a straight highway for our God in the desert. Every valley will be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be leveled. The uneven ground will become smooth and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will appear. And all humanity together will see it for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. In verse 3, we encounter a messenger. And messengers were well known in the ancient Near Eastern world. They played a key role as the bearers of political and civic news to a city's inhabitants. Virtually every town had what was sometimes referred to as a crier. And it was this crier's job to tell the inhabitants of a city news of foreign invaders or victories won in distant places or of the arrival of a dignitary, perhaps even a king. And here in our text, the crier is exuberant. Why? Because the king is coming. The long-expected, long-awaited ruler who will set everything right. And the exuberance in the voice here belies the longing of all of our hearts. We want a king. We need a king. And I think we can even see examples of that today. For example, on May 6th of this year, 10 million Americans tuned in to watch the coronation of the new British monarch, King Charles. Now, that's a fair number of people, especially when one considers that, re- that it required a 5 a.m. wake-up for a group of people who live in a country whose origin story is rooted in a rejection of the British monarchy. But despite that origin story, right, we can't help but be fascinated by royalty. Right? We're now on, what, season six of The Crown? And you know, think about all of the attention that Harry and Meghan get. Now, where does this fascination with royalty come from? I think it is deeply ingrained within us. Human beings want, need, long for a king. Someone that will come and set things right. Without one, we are like ants in an ant farm. A fun fact about ants in an ant farm, do you know what happens to ants in an ant farm after about a couple of weeks? They all die. Um, So if you are considering getting an ant farm for someone for Christmas, you might want to reconsider, steer clear of that one. Unless, of course, you want to teach a lesson about mortality and the fragility of life. (laughs) But ants, when they're first placed in an ant farm, they get to work and they they start building these elaborate tunnels. But pretty pretty soon thereafter, they all begin to drop like ants. Why? Because they don't have a queen. Apparently, queens are illegal to ship. Fun facts. See, without a queen, without a ruler, the lives of these ants are pointless. 
I actually heard uh, an interview with a scientist at Stanford who explained this, that without a queen, these ants are stuck in a little feedback loop, right? waiting for purpose, waiting for direction that never comes. The same is true for us. We need purpose and direction that comes from the outside. We need, we were made for a ruler. And so this voice out in the wilderness is one of joy because a deep longing of our hearts finally has the potential to be fulfilled. Now, the call of this voice is to prepare the way for this king, to literally erect a highway for him. And this was standard practice in the ancient Near East. When a king came to a distant part of his kingdom, new roads were erected, highways were built. There's actually an ancient Babylonian hymn that gives similar instructions. But notice what happens here in this text. The call is to make a highway for the coming king. And then what do we read? This king makes his own path in rather dramatic fashion. And he's doing one of the primary things that we look to rulers to do. He's creating infrastructure that works. Isn't that one of the main things, one of the main ways that we judge the competence and effectiveness of a ruler today? One of my friends uh, from seminary is from Alabama, and after seminary, he went back to Alabama and is now serving at a church just outside of Birmingham um, in an area that's been historically disenfranchised. Uh, The church that he's at, it's a church in our denomination. It's called Urban Hope. And similar to one of our sister churches down in San Diego, um, that we've, uh, servant church that we've had the opportunity to, uh, to partner with a few different times, this church is intentionally rooted in a, a poor community with, with the hope and expectation that the gospel will bring about important change. Uh, well, a couple summers ago, I got to go to Birmingham and, and see my friend, and he drove me through his community and, and uh, showed me his church And one of the first things that he pointed out when we pulled off the freeway and entered into his city was the center center divider. And the center divider was totally overgrown with weeds, and there was a fallen tree right in the middle of it. And uh, he explained that that tree's been like that for a couple of years, and it fell because it just died. So it's just sitting there, fallen, rotting. And my friend pointed this out, uh, something that I probably wouldn't have even noticed, as an example of failed infrastructure, as an example of leaders who aren't doing their jobs, leaders who don't care, and his, his, he kind of got upset. He was going to take his chainsaw and, and, and go take care of it himself. And in his mind, he was thinking, like, how is it that we can expect our people to flourish if things like this are allowed to persist? Right? Good leaders take care of things like that. They build roads, they build bridges, they make things that work. And when things are working, people are willing to overlook a lot, which is perhaps why a lot of leaders like to name roads and bridges after themselves. Uh, My my great-grandfather was from Italy and didn't have a lot of good things to say about the Italian government when he uh, immigrated. He immigrated during the reign of Mussolini, so it's understandable that he didn't have a lot of good things to say. But even he, in the midst of his complaints, felt compelled to say, well, Mussolini did make the trains run on time. We remember these things. We, we value good infrastructure. But even the best human leaders are subject to their surroundings. When there's a chasm, hopefully they can build an effective bridge. If there's a mountain, maybe they can build a tunnel. But look what happens when the true king comes. 
Valleys are lifted up. Mountains and hills are leveled. Our king doesn't just work around obstacles. Our king obliterates them. Uneven ground becomes smooth and rough places a plain when our king arrives. And this is what we actually long for, something that no human ruler could possibly deliver. And the next section points that out. It points out the inadequacy of human rulers. Let's look at verses six through eight together. A voice was, was, a voice was saying, cry out. Another said, what should I cry out? All humanity is grass, and all its goodness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fade when the breath of the Lord blows on them. Indeed, the people are grass. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God remains forever. Why can't humans deliver? Why can't human rulers deliver? Because all humanity is grass and grass withers and fades. We are by nature limited. We are all finite and frail and no human authority is able to deliver what our souls most long for because every person is finite. Now we live in a time and place where rulers rule for for set terms and at least for the highest office there are limits to the amount of terms that a leader is allowed to be in office for. And how much is a person actually able to accomplish in a period of four to eight years? Not just a side note, this is not a polemic against term limits. I think that they're a good thing. But we find ourselves in a situation where one leader tries to enact certain changes only to have those changes completely overturned by the next person that comes around. And even at the time when this text was written, where kings served for their entire adult lives, there were serious limits. When King David reigned, Israel flourished, its borders were expanded, but just two generations after him, Israel was divided in half, never to be united again. This is why the psalmist warns us in Psalm 146, put not your trust in princes and a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. No human being can bear the weight of our hope and expectations. A recent and interesting, at least I think it's interesting, uh, example of this, uh, I don't know how familiar any of you are with the hip-hop group OutKast. Anyway, they were a really big deal uh, just as I was entering high school. In fact, just before my freshman year, uh, they released the album Speaker Box, The Love Below, that was recently declared the best-selling rap album ever uh, after selling 13 million units. But it's been about 17 years since they've released anything, and this group is composed of two artists, Andre 3000 and Big Boy. Now, now Andre 3000 is considered by many to be the greatest lyrical rapper of all time. And during his 17-year hiatus, many issued calls for him to make a comeback. See, some hip-hop commentators are less than pleased with the current state of the genre, and their hope is that someone with Andre's unique gifting could come and and literally save hip-hop. Well, just last month, Andre 3000 released an album 
but it's not what anyone was expecting. Uh, One of the greatest lyrical rappers of all time, his latest album has no lyrics. (laughs) It is a strictly instrumental piece in which he plays improvisational flute for an hour and a half. Uh, the, the, the album, the songs on his album have these outlandish titles, and the very first one, the very first song on this album is entitled, I swear I really wanted to make a rap album, but this is literally the way the wind blew me this time. <laughs> I wonder if that's good. And why the switch? Well, Andre himself says that he can't meet the culture's demand on him. In an interview, he said, this is him saying, Sometimes it feels inauthentic for me to rap because I don't have anything to talk about in that way. I'm 48 years old. And not to say that age is a thing that dictates what you rap about, but in a way it does. Things that happen in my life, what do you rap about? My eyesight is going bad? (laughs) Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. No human being is able to fulfill our longings. And I I don't know how many of you were longing for Andre 3000 to come and save rap, but it's likely that there is some human that you are placing too much hope in. Think about who it might be for you. Is it a boss or a coworker? Is it a spouse or a parent? Is it a political candidate? No human is able to bear the weight of our expectations. So then where should we place our hope? In the king of power and comfort. Let's look at verses 9 through 11. Zion, herald of good news, go up on a high mountain. Jerusalem, herald of good news, raise your voice loudly. Raise it. Do not be afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, the Lord God comes with strength and his power establishes his rule. His wages are with him and his reward accompanies him. He protects his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them in the fold of his garment. He gently leads those that are nursing. Where should our hope be located? In the Lord God who comes with strength and establishes his rule by his power. The only one truly able to set things right is the one who is able to lift valleys and cause mountains and hills to be leveled. He's the only one able to protect us and gather us in his arms. Look, humans are made in God's image, and as a result, we can do some cool things. But the only way that we can look at one another without disappointment and eventual resentment is to look at one another in proper perspective. And the same thing is true about human initiatives. God gives us gifts and the privilege of meaningful work, but none of our efforts can actually solve the world's problems. God gives us gifts that he wants us to use, but we are limited. And when we are able to see that, do you know what the result is? It's grace and peace. Grace for one another. If you know that humans are finite and frail, fundamentally broken, you'll know not to place the weight of the world on their shoulders. 
It'll give you the capacity to love the people in your lives and not your idea of what those people should be. It'll allow you to show empathy as opposed to angst and disappointment. And when you know that our hope isn't in getting to the bottom of a particular crisis, you can find peace. You can and should still work to make the world a better place, but you'll be able to do so without the disillusionment that you'd otherwise face because you'll know all I can do is build a tunnel or what I need is for God to level the mountain. And why doesn't God just do that work here and now? Well, I don't know. But we can trust that our God is up to something, that he is at work in our midst. And we can trust in the fact that he cares. I mean, let's look now at the very beginning of this passage, which is, of course, the most famous portion of this text, a text featured in Handel's Messiah Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and announce to her that her time of hard service is over. Her iniquity has been pardoned and she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Here we receive a beautiful word of comfort. And what is that word rooted in? that the sins of the people of God have been pardoned. In fact, they've received from the Lord's hand double for all their sins. Now, that doesn't mean a double punishment. What does it mean? Here we see, again, the God of power and comfort. How has our iniquity been pardoned? Another way of saying our sins forgiven. There has been a double payment. And where does that double payment come from? It comes from the Lord's hand. This, friend, is the hope of Christmas. And we see it explained in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that the one who did not know sin, Jesus himself, paid the penalty for sin. Right? That's one payment. But not only that, he in exchange gives us his righteousness. That's the double payment. The king, the one who can level mountains and lift up valleys, has come to claim what's his. And how does he do it? He does it by sacrificing himself. Jesus' ministry in Mark's gospel is inaugurated with Isaiah uh, chapter 40, verse 3. Jesus is the one that Isaiah pointed to. He is the one able to topple mountains and lift valleys. And when he enters into the world and looks on the mess that we've made of things, instead of condemning us or sitting in quiet disapproval, he pays our debt with his life. But not only that, he gives us his righteousness. He speaks tenderly over us and pays double for our iniquity. That's his response. We may not like the current state of things, but we certainly cannot accuse our king of indifference. In a recent New York Times article, uh, an author and veteran of the Iraq War named uh, Philip Clay was interviewed. Uh, Clay is a Catholic, and in this interview, he was asked about his faith, and he was asked specifically, how do you see God in a war zone? And he responded, how do you not see God in a war zone? 
The God I believe in was tortured and died in agony on the cross. God is there when I see another human being and see something of infinite worth and value. God is there in this infinite horror and majesty of the world. Friends, what is our hope? That the God who is able to topple mountains and lift valleys is the same God who loves you enough, who really loves you enough to an infinite cost to himself give you a double payment for all your sins. Friends, that is the real hope of Christmas. More than friends, more than family, more than presents, more than food, more than creating the perfect memory, what we are celebrating is the shocking reality of God's love. The surprising arrival of the king, not just of power, but of comfort, of hope, and of love. The joy of every longing heart has entered into the world to announce that our time of hard service is over. Your time of hard service is over. So friends, may we carry that truth into this season. For many of us, especially in this season, it doesn't feel as though our time of hard service is over. Things at work are crazy. There are still presents to wrap. There is so much to prepare. But knowing this ultimate reality, that God has justified us, that he has made us right with him, and soon he will make all things right, it radically, it radically changes the way that we engage with our work here and now. Your work, your preparations, all of the things that you point to as a means of self-justification, as a means of saying, look, I matter because I'm doing these things. These will not lift valleys or topple mountains. They will not make the world right or you right for that matter. But in Christ, friends, God has done both. And that work will come to full fruition when he comes back. And knowing that, it gives you the freedom to go about the work that God has given you to do with a sense of joy and peace. We were made to do good works. There was work present in the garden. Work itself isn't a bad thing. We were not, however, made to justify ourselves or work as a means of proving our existence. Friends, that is a burden that none of us is actually able to bear. But friends, in Christ, that burden has been lifted, so now you are free to use your gifts to serve God and love your neighbor. You can engage the tasks that God has given you to do with, with just the sheer joy of doing them, the joy of, of serving your God and, and seeing how it affects the people in your life. Do you see the difference? Our king has come, and he is coming again. (laughs) And we're not him, which is a good thing. This is a season in which many of us feel an acute sense of anxiety because there's so much to do. And we often feel as though we need to control circumstances that are simply beyond our control. 
Martin Luther had a companion during the Reformation named uh, Philip Melanchthon, who was prone to worry. And when anxiety would stir up in Melanchthon's heart, Luther would tell his friend, let Philip cease to rule the world. Friends, we can easily put ourselves in the middle of that sentence. Our king has come, and he is coming again. So we can give up the illusion that it's all on us. Our king is the one who establishes his rule by his power, who is able to topple mountains and lift valleys. He has come to speak a tender word of comfort, a word of peace for you. So will you cling to that? Let's pray. Father, this morning we thank, we thank you. We thank you for being our king and for caring enough about us and our circumstances to enter in, to enter into our mess. Father, we confess that it is so easy for us to think that, that circumstances that are beyond our control are actually in our grasp, in our control. Lord, free us from that illusion and help us to celebrate the good news that you are the king of power and comfort, that you are able to do incredible things and that you love us despite ourselves. Lord, help us to cling to that truth this morning and may that truth inform our celebrations in this season. Lord, help us to, to shift our focus from the things that we have to do to what you have already done in Jesus. Help us, Lord, to remember you, the goodness of your son. Help us to find his grace and peace. And it's in Jesus' great name we pray. Amen.